Now we are being recognized. We love hitting to see it. record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I am on time. Is as am I. My time is exact. My time is plus zero point zero three two. Ooh, I know. <laughs> I interviewed Brent um, a few weeks ago, and he was like plus a full second. I was like, how is that possible? Yeah, he was telling me a bit about that. <laughs> He sent me a copy of his book. It was really nice. He sent me a copy of Remainders. I I am so excited to be reading that. I have it yeah. in my somewhere somewhere that's it's right somewhere right back there. There, I think it's that yellow. I can book see. Right I, there. I can. I recognize the color of the spine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, it's Pi Day today. Happy Pi Day. Oh shit! Yeah, no, it's my sister's birthday. Fuck. Okay. Oh, there's also that. I guess. <laughs> Good thing to remember. Yeah, probably. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Cast Without Trace, a podcast without a trace. As always, uh, I am Dunk Urquhart. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm, of course, joined by the... Hi, I'm Jason. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, And I don't think we've ever used our full name, (laughs) so that was an interesting energy. It just just came out. First name and a last name. Why not, right? Yeah, I mean, hey, you know. I just didn't expect it. I was like, oh, that is, that is your name. I, I I know that name, and that's your name. You know, it's wow. all about brand recognition, right? I mean, I, it I really is. I have two names. I'm not like Cher. Yeah, I've got three. I got one that snack smack dab in the middle there. I mean, I do too, and that is that is what I ha- do use for my my writing and shit. Yeah. But like, oh well, your professional name, but your podcasting yeah. name is just first last. Yeah, I mean my yeah. my name on on all my social media stuff is basically just dunk the bard boy so yeah that's true that's very professional super professional i well i mean <laughs> g- g- given our field i think it, it works if it, it works it works it definitely works yeah um all right jason today we are going to be talking about uh the new unearthed arcana the heroes mm-hmm. of of Kryn. Yeah, this is um this is exciting for me. I, I I don't know much about the setting. I know you're probably gonna talk about it a little bit. I'm not oh, very yeah. well versed in Dragonlance. Um, but the the actual material in here is pretty uh I don't know if it all works, but it's very cool, so I like it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, no, it's uh it's really exciting because this is basically the first time Five E is getting an introduction into the Dragonlance universe. Uh, which is huge. Um, in this Unearthed Arcana article, uh, you can see that it is written by, uh, you know, Ben and Wesley and and good old Jeremy Crawford. Um, but what is noticeable of that is the fact that none of the original Dragonlance writers, uh, neither of the Hickmans and not Margaret Wise, is a part of this rendition. Which makes me a little bit concerned, but looking at some of the stuff in here, I'm I'm also very excited. 
Yeah, it's also it's not altogether surprising that that's the case either. Um, even if it's not exactly what people might be hoping for. Yeah, I I think it's just um, it's a bit of a shame because the history of of Dragonlance, which I can get into now if you want. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, I'm so, interested to to learn. Yeah, so the Dragonlance universe, uh, it has a long history uh, in fantasy content. It was like originally a shared universe between a few writers, um, Laura and Tracy Hickman and uh, Margaret Weiss, and um, you know they they expanded that over time um and they were part of uh they were part of tsr right um these were the writers who started the chronicles trilogy which was a, a series of fantasy books um they all take place in the in the dragonlance universe specifically in the region or the country of kryn um and uh you know the creators of this story world uh you know wrote tons and tons of books and other games and content uh, within this story world and some of that actually contributed to the canon and some of them uh, did not the uh, yeah basically like the the canon of the Dragonlands universe is bigger than that of like the current day MCU right it is it is a wider expanse in the story world of that like we go we, we talked about like the concept of world building and like meta narratives this is like the crazy shit that did that to the max way back in the 80s uh and this actually was like you know a lot of uh the people involved were uh members of tsr and were big D nerds um this started in 1984 and uh they also released uh companion modules and pre-written D campaigns in the dragonland universe primarily the land of Kryn. um as many know, Wizards bought TSR and made a lot of the material official and continued to use it well into the 90s. Um, but we actually haven't seen any Dragonlance D&D uh, content since 1996. Um, that was around the time of like 3rd edition and stuff. Um, and the release of Dragonlance 5th Age, which was a Saga RPG. Um, so like this updated inclusion of it now is really interesting especially because we were talking about like in the last episode we were thinking about the monsters of the multiverse and we were thinking about what the multiverse means right and you know dragonlance is as big if not maybe bigger in the DD community before 5e as like the forgotten realms yeah i would be very interested to see this expanded into like a full source book for 5e um, as long as they're done right. Like, I think a lot of the source books we've gotten from Wizards, um, specifically, like, I'm really familiar with the MTG ones. Um, they're fine. Uh, I, I really do like Ravnica. Uh, I just feel like it doesn't give DMs, like, a lot to work with. Um, I think including, uh, maybe just, like, expanding them, making sure there's enough material in there for DMs to really, like, feel like they know the world. Um, I think as long as source books are done right, they can be fantastic. So I am looking forward to seeing if they can pull off a multitude of different like old school worlds and bringing them into 5e yeah i don't think it's that hard to be honest because if you look at you know the concept of world building i mean the fact is is that this universe has maintained a constant in its canon throughout multiple editions starting in ad and d and then going into different rpg systems different video games and a multitude of book series like Dragonlance is pretty established. So 
It's just about how Wizards is going to summarize that in a source book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's only one way to find out, and that's to wait and see how this gets published, if it ever does. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, the first thing, mechanically, that they include in uh, this UA is a new ancestry, a new race, um, who I, I, to be honest with you, I was not familiar with the Kender before this uh, PDF came out. But when I checked uh, Reddit and Twitter, it was kind of blown up. Uh, Kenner seemed to be very infamous for, for old school D&D players who were around for the time of, of Dragonlance. Oh, yeah. Kenner are tricky and fun and interesting, but have quite a rich history. Yeah. They, they, when I was reading this, it struck me that Kenner are kind of the, they're the halfling equivalent for Dragonlance. And I think that's, that was an accurate assessment on my part, because that seems to be what the, the general consensus kind of is about them. Um, they just, they seem to breed bad players, or at least they, they had a lot of traits that allowed players to play poorly and then say it was just what their character would do. Uh, a lot of thievery, a lot of, you know, feigned innocence, so... Oh yeah, they're they're very yeah they, they they've always been played as like very tricky. Um, they're kind of like I don't know. I I I think the halfling uh the halfling parallel does I think work really well. Um, yeah. but I would say it was basically if halflings were actually motivated to do shit rather okay. than just yeah, to like yeah, yeah, yeah. vibe in hobbit holes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than just several breakfasts, and even that, like it, mechanically, like they they also have the brave feature that halflings have. So there is, there's mechanical overlap, um, which is interesting. The um, the big they have two really like unique abilities. Um, the first is Kender Ace, um, which is that starting at third level, um, they can pull magical items basically out of nowhere. Uh, as a bonus action, they can just reach into any container that they have and then roll on this table uh, that has six options. Uh, the item lasts for an hour and whatever. It's, it's You can use it up to your proficiency bonus. The thing that I have trouble with with this ability is that on the Kender Ace table, where you, like, as a bonus action, you roll on here to figure out what you're pulling out, um, three of the options are go into a different book and either look at or roll on another table, which strikes me as, like, just really just bad yeah like that's yeah. just bad design right <laughs> you're, you're not wrong to, like all. it's just it, it's clumsy right o open this other book that you have open the player's handbook and either take an item of your choice from the adventuring gear table or roll on the trinkets table which is a d100 or <laughs> take a tool of your choice right like it strikes me that that's like really, really clumsy design, and like it's gonna take up a lot of time at the table if someone actually like wants to use this ability, and then ends up rolling a four, and they're like, oh, let me open up my player's handbook, let me roll a d100, let me figure out what I'm getting. Like that, it strikes mm -hmm. me as a lot of work for an ability that probably isn't that useful. Yeah, I I think you're you're, you're well. Firstly, you're entirely right. Um, this is going to take up so much time at the table, but also like it also just seems a little bit lazy i don't know like yeah. it, it just it approaches me as this was the first easy answer because this is like the first answer i would provide um yeah. and then and then <laughs> there was not any like thought much so after that you know you could well, have okay, had yeah. it, it seems like the the attempt here is that they wanted to make it so that kender instead of being like a thieving race which is what they were back 
in the day. They instead of like just randomly pocketing stuff over the course of whatever over the course of adventuring day that like doesn't belong to them it's instead like they have this magical ability to like pull things out of their pocket um so i understand the motivation to kind of get away from oh like if we're if you're playing a kender like you got to be stealing all the time in, into like this kind of uncanny ability to just pull things out of their pocket but i don't know if this is the way to do it and it's also like the the difference between all of the not to mention that the, the first re- result is then roll an additional 5d6. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it roll is. Roll 5d6 gold pieces. It's all just very clumsy. But, like, the difference between um, one random item from the trinkets table in the player's handbook and then the next option is your choice of a crowbar or a grappling hook. Like, why why are these the two extremes that we're playing with? Yeah. It's either, like, literally roll a d100 and randomly get something or pick one of two mundane items. Just strikes me as a really weird two ends of the spectrum you're, you're not wrong at all i mean like i i feel as though you could make it either a list of like tools and items and trinkets like a longer list rather than a d6 list um or just make it all like completely random yeah well there is that right it's just like it really lean into the randomness aspect and like maybe like i don't know the trouble right is that you don't want to at least I don't think you would want to force players to open up a different book and roll on a table in a different book. So that just strikes me as very strange. And I, I, I don't know how to get around that. Like, just don't include table like a table or a, an option in the table that requires someone to go open a different table and roll a different book. Or sorry, roll open a different book and roll a different table, rather. It just strikes me as really strange. This definitely approaches me as something that I'm going to eventually find you know, on Reddit or something, yeah. someone has created a like Excel spreadsheet for like a D one thousand <laughs> list of random Kender items. You know, that's that's what I want. That's, that's yeah. Like, that that doesn't sound that doesn't sound you know <laughs> doesn't sound clumsy at all. It's yeah, <laughs> opening up my Excel spreadsheet for like a D one thousand and then control. You know F. what? You know what? Um, in 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 the published book, uh, what what Jeremy Crawford should be doing here is instead of having this Kender Aces uh, table here, just have like a little QR code. And then as soon ah, as you, okay. <laughs> yeah, as soon yeah, as you yeah, use yeah. your phone and just, you know, and, plop and it up. And that will just roll a random item for you. Okay. Exactly. I, I Out of that like giant D10,000 list, you know? <laughs> Obviously they'll never do that, but I actually don't hate it. That, I mean, <laughs> that, I said it as a joke, it's, but honestly, it does sound pretty great. It's kind of an elegant solution. It's just like it's 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 very much like you know that, that we we're, now we're gatekeeping in terms of like oh you need to have a cell phone to play D and D, but sure. But I mean, if you if you're you know buying these fifty dollars source yeah, books, no, I, don't I feel I, I do I do I do think that's hilarious. I also think that like. As that would be an amazing April Fool's joke on the part of Wizards. <laughs> is just have this QR code in the book. <laughs> I'm surprised oh, more man. more tabletop game source books don't utilize things like that. Like digital? Yeah. 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 It's a real shame. Uh, the other ability is their taunt ability. So <laughs> like I can see why Kender used to breed or at least they used to attract players who love to cause chaos at the table. Because the taunt ability, the flavor text here is you have a supernatural ability to hone in on a creature's emotional raw nerves and craft a taunt that flusters them. <laughs> so you basically get racial um, uh, vicious mockery as a bonus action. Except it's it's specifically the way they word it. It is yeah. good vicious mockery. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's you, You're crafting a taunt that flusters them. 
Uh, yeah, so it, it is, it's vicious mockery. It's within 60 feet, they have to make a wisdom saving throw, and it, it keys off of your charisma specifically, which is interesting, because they've kind of gotten away from that design recently, but I guess this was just, I guess they didn't think it would make sense for it to key off of wisdom or intelligence, which I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, I... Feel like I... If, you're, if you're crafting an insult or a taunt for someone that, like, is supposed to get on their nerves, like, I feel like you could, you know, like, insight is a, is a wisdom score, right? Yeah. You're you're not you're not wrong at all. Like the, the, this approaches me as either a honest, like genuine mistake that they just missed, yeah, or something that will definitely be changed when the source material comes out. I, yeah. I don't think it was a mistake. I just think they copied and pasted the text from Vicious Mockery and then changed it to a bonus action. <laughs> I think that's what happened. Fair enough. Because <laughs> I think it is like. Literally, they have to. Oh, they have to hear you and understand you. Okay, so that's different from vicious mockery, because vicious mockery they have to hear you, but they don't necessarily have to understand you. So it's actually more limited than vicious mockery, which is interesting. Um, like they have to, you have to have a language in common for this, which is kind of that's very limiting, actually, if you think about it. This um, also doesn't do any damage. Yeah, no, it's it's just it's just the disadvantage on attack rolls and until the start of your next saving or the start of your next turn. There's no D four psychic damage attached to it either, which is a bit of a shame, I think. But you know, I guess bonus action, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. So overall, like, what are your impressions of the Kender? Like, do you want to play this? <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking <laughs> or do you, about do you this. Want, I, I guess the, like a more relevant question is, would you want one of your players at your table to to play this? I mean, having a. a Ta having a player at my table play this uh would not be the end of the world i mean it's very similar to um you know a player at our at, at the table when i was dming um you know for a one shot uh with with you actually um yeah. which was uh one of your friends uh max yep. brockner <laughs> just yeah yeah just putting him i'm putting him last uh because this was the most like absurd character i had ever encountered <laughs> um this man uh he he came up to me and uh asked to um create a custom subclass for the ranger and i thought sure go for it um and basically not instead knowing of, what was in store yeah um so basically he was like pretty much a full cast full full casting ranger but instead of using weapons or actually casting spells uh he basically just had this infinite bag of holding um and would pull random things out of it and throw them uh most of which were living animals so uh yeah it was and and he was just some dude in uh slippers and a bathrobe yeah. um yeah just some scrawny uh dirty man who had the most absurd voice that i i can't even try to to imitate i, I don't even i don't even know if yeah. i could pull that out of my memory <laughs> it was so it was just such a, de a detestable character and yet so much fun so i feel like you know if if someone brought that that same crackhead energy to yeah. the kender i think it would be a lot of fun um like honestly the the idea of the kender makes me more interested in playing a rogue someday um, yeah. which is a class that I have not yet to play. I think it's the only class I have yet to play. Um, so, like, that that does, I think, make it really interesting to me. Um, I could also see this being, like, a really fun, uh, you know, race for, like, a bard. 
Um, I could see this as like really fun. Someone startled herself. Yeah. Big tough lady. Oh, Zuko. Oh, big tough boy. Ooh. Um. Yeah. So. It's a natural fit for Rogue and Bob. Yeah. The two. Um. It, oh. it is. <laughs> Someone's getting testy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and no, I think it's a really good fit for them. But also, I I think it would fit really well for some other. Like, I I could see a um a warlock. Uh, who has oh, sort yeah. of like that, yeah that, that, that dimensional connection thought. yeah um sure. i i think that would be so much fun i there there's so much you can do with the kender it, it just adds so much flavor mm-hmm. into the way that you can play your character and the way that your character interacts with the world it's it's just it's exciting yeah i i do hope they change that um the taunt ability to be able to key off of any mental stat just so you can uh, you can kind of mix and match it because I do like even Shirkery Cleric I think would be amazing. Um, the only issue I have with it is that it makes your like you don't really need charisma as a as a cleric and having your taunt's ability key off of charisma. Like I would just be I would just want to choose it so I can key it off of wisdom instead. That's the that's the that's a big change I would make for taunt. I think like yeah I think overall the Kender Aces needs like a full that table needs a full rework because it's just not interesting enough. Or if it's even the parts that are interesting, I think are um, really clumsy. Uh, And then the taunt ability, I think just needs a a small reword. Yeah. That's it. You know, they're they're, they're, they're confused. They're attack confused, but they got the spirit. Yeah. 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 I think it's a perfectly valid um, ancestry. I wouldn't mind someone playing it at my table, Um, but yeah, I just think it needs a little bit of rework before it gets uh, fully published. Yeah, which is fine. That's why UA exists, right? Is so we can precisely so. Yeah. When that survey comes out, we'll be. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I'll be all over it. Yeah, we'll be coming at that. Um, yeah, I, I think you know it, it obviously needs to be like th- this would be such a fun sub race to play. I, I think the fact is, uh, or not sub race, a, a fun race to play. I mean, the fact yeah. is, is that there are not many races that are as interesting and exciting as as this one shall we move on to the the sorcerer subclass that's included in this i would love to to talk about this sorcerer subclass because yeah this is a really interesting ua because most of the time they like they either group together like a whole bunch of uh sub subclasses or they group together a whole bunch of races but in this instance we have like a lot of different things going on so we have like one race we have one subclass we have a couple backgrounds um, so this is this is the subclass. It's it's a it's a very powerful sorcerer subclass. I don't know, Dunk, if you want to like give us a quick overview. Yeah. So uh, the sorcerer subclass is all focused on lunar magic. Uh, the little yeah. like flavor text that they give is on many worlds. The moon is a revered celestial body with magical properties. On Kryn, the gods of magic are associated with the world's three moons, because. Um, you know, obviously, we got to get some Star Wars vibes in there. I love your dramatic um, reading voice, by the way. Thank you. It's, it's, it makes for very good radio. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been told I got a voice and a face for radio. Um, yeah, same here. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> here we are. Um, yeah, on, on the world of Toril, um, you know, the God Saloon uh, uses the light of the moon to battle darkness. Um, Ebron does other shit. Who cares? Um, (laughs) basically the idea is that, uh, you know, sometime in your lineage, uh, you were exposed or your ancestors were exposed to, um, concentrated moon magic, 
which yes. is different from regular yes. magic. <laughs> I love it. God, it's so good. I just, I love the flavor here. I think, I, I don't know. I, I never thought about a moon sorcerer. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, how has this not existed before? Obviously, there should be sorcerers that get their magic from the moon. Like, that's just awesome. I don't know. I love that. I mean, uh, literally, when like, I see this, all I can think of, all I can think of is my girlfriend turned into the moon. Yeah. I think that, like, you do have to do it, right? At some <laughs> point. you do Like, you have to big Sokka, but instead of like just being a boomerang guy he's the sorcerer who's uh who got his magical powers from his girlfriend turning into the moon um i think that would be fantastic well here's the real question then does that make you a sorcerer or does that make you a warlock uh you know flavor is free i guess so <laughs> fair enough what you want with it yeah, yeah. i i love these I manifestations know. of lunar magic by the way it's yeah uh, you know first off starting you glow with the faint light that matches the color of the moon you basically yep. you glow like the moon. Your pu- your pupils look like this the moon. This one's my favorite. This one's <laughs> your for pupils sure my favorite. Look like the moon. Yeah, they um, shift in shape and they match the current phase of the moon. So like if there's you know I, I I love that. That's my favorite one for sure. Number three might be my favorite. Spectral manifestations of the moon orbit you. <laughs> you have your <laughs> own moon. Yeah, you just going around your head. Yeah. <laughs> And then the last one is uh, your shadow is limed uh, in faint light as if it were a lunar body during a solar eclipse. Which is cute. I don't know. I love the pupils moving and the like are sh- shifting in shape to match the phase of the moon. I think it's fantastic. Um, That's fun and all. I like having speaking. my own gravitational. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your <laughs> gravitational force. Yeah. That could be really. That could, I don't know, man. I think there's a lot you could do with it flavor wise. Mechanically speaking. Um, you're getting two abilities at first level. The first one is that you learn Sacred Flame and that you can target it at two creatures within range of five feet of each other. This is kind of whatever. Sacred Flame is fine. It's what I, it's it's a fine cantrip for a cleric. I think that Sorcerer has better options. Um, being able to hit two things within a five-foot range of each other is niche, but it'll come up. So um, every once in a while, that will actually be useful. The standout for sure, is the looter embodiment feature, which you also get at first level, uh, which is if you imagine the, the the first level abilities that the sorcerers and Tasha's get, which is like you get like nine extra spells, uh, this is like that, but way crazier. Um, there are three distinct lists of uh, five spells each that you can gain access to. So in theory, you have an additional 15 spells known, not all at once, and we'll get into that. And then on top of that, this feature also gives you additional castings of those spells. So it's crazy. Uh, I think that this is where the sorcerer should be. Um, The player's handbook sorcerer does not nearly get enough spells known, and I think that Tasha's and this is a fantastic way to supplement that i just wish they would go back and fix the other sorcerer subclasses and give them more spells whatever um some of the standouts from this list uh there's three lists uh the full moon list the new moon list and the crescent moon list some of the standouts for me on full moon you're getting fairy fire freedom of movement mass cure wounds uh new moon you're getting dissonant whispers uh darkness which can be cool uh, and then, oh, Bestow Curse is fantastic. And then Crescent Moon, you're getting Sanctuary, Blindness, Deafness. Um, hallucinatory, ter- hallucinatory Terrain is also fantastic. So there, there are some really, really good spells on these lists. Um, 
you choose which list you want to have at the end of a long rest. Um, and then this is interesting. Uh, I want to get your opinion on how, like the way this is phrased is a little bit, um, it's vague and I want to get dunk your opinion on how this should be ruled. Um, while in the chosen phase, spells of the associated phase in the lunar spells table can be cast once without expending a spell slot. That seems pretty clear, right? All five of the, when, once you're at ninth level, all five of these spells, you can cast them once, um, without expending a spell slot every long rest, which is crazy. That's five additional spells every single day. Um, once you cast a spell in this way, you can't do it again until you finish a long rest. So these two sentences, in my opinion, go against each other because the first sentence says you can cast all five, you can cast all five, you can cast them once, right? All like your first level, your third level, your fifth, your seventh, and your ninth, you can cast them each once without spending a spell slot. And then the next sentence says, once you cast any spell, once you cast a spell in this way, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest, which makes me think that you can only cast one of that list without expending a spell slot per day. So I'm not sure how this is supposed to be ruled. Um, it's either very, very good or whatever, in my opinion, depending on how it's supposed to be actually interpreted. Yeah. I mean, the fact is, is that, um, I mean, straight up, if you have, if, if, if you could cast five spells for free, going yeah. up to ninth level, potentially yeah. even mass cure wounds, right? Like mm -hmm. being able to do that for free once a day, well, once per long rest, like right. That that and that's it, <laughs> too much. That's too much. If that's the if that's the interpretation, it actually does get crazier later if, on. If that's, well, we'll if that's if that's the interpretation, spells. then like there's no other class to play. There's no other subclass right. to play. You know what yeah, I mean? There's no other sorcerer subclass um, you would want. I I, I, I feel it's like fifteen additional spells and then five additional castings every single long yeah. rest, and then more than that once you get to. To sixth level, actually, cool. Again, we'll talk about yeah. it. Yeah, I, I, I feel like the once you cast a spell in this way, you can't do so again until a, a, you finish a long rest. Is specifically worded in the way it is to clear up the way that second that that that, that, that yeah. first sentence is is writing it out because that is the way that they write it. They they do have like there is like D and D language, um, and it's not how real sentences should ever be structured. Right. Yeah. but they do it like that. Um, well, like the trouble that I'm having with it, right, is that when it says when you cast a spell, is it referring to that specific spell? Like once I cast Fairy Fire for free, I cannot cast Fairy Fire for free again. Or is it just saying once I cast Fairy Fire for free, I can no longer cast Moonbeam or Death Ward or Freedom of Movement or Mass Cure Wounds for free as well? I think it's unclear. Yeah, uh -oh. it is. It is unclear. But it is, again, <laughs> in in that way of, um, you know, Wizards Wizards has D&D &D language and they and they write things in a certain way that makes it very irritating. Um, and, you know, then you have the rules lawyers that are going to argue this at the table. But I think it's very obvious that, you know, if if you were able to cast all of these spells once for free, there's no other sorcerer to play. Yeah. And it, again, it gets crazier. At sixth level, uh, you get two additional abilities. Um, the first one is Lunar Boons, which is um, each... Uh, phase, like the full, the new, and the crescent moon now get associated spell schools. Um, and when you're in those phases, when you use metamagic on spells from those schools, so for example, if you're in the full moon phase and you use a metamagic on an abjuration, ooh, on an abjuration or conjuration spell, once you use, uh, when you use metamagic on a abjuration or conjuration spell when you're in the full moon phase, you can reduce that the sorcery point cost by one 
and this is really important, to a minimum of zero. Not to a minimum of one, but to a minimum of zero. So you can, in theory, get some free meta magic castings, which is insane, other than the fact that um, you can only do it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Um, if it didn't have that last caveat, it would be probably the most powerful sorcerer ability in the entire game. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you can only do it, like, on average, three to three to four times per day um, is is makes it much less powerful, but obviously still very, 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 very good. Um sorcery points are very uh they're valuable to a sorcerer you only get an amount equal to your level um so being able to save those even in a limited amount is is very very important yeah i mean potentially what this is providing is in a limited way you are gaining an additional two to six sorcery points yeah which is very very good when you think about it that way like you, you can you can see the value in this in this ability um the the ability that's actually insane it's the sleeper ability and it's it's crazy uh depending on how that first level ability is interpreted uh is the wa waxing and waning ability which is uh, as a bonus action you can spend a sorcery point to change your lunar phase for a different one so if you take the generous interpretation of the first level ability with the spells being able to be cast without a spell slot all five of them um, what this ability means is if you spend one sorcery point, you get five free spells on the list that you, that you switch to, which is obviously insane and not like, I don't think that's what they interpreted. That's what they, um, anticipated or wanted to write at all. Uh, but if like, if you take a generous interpretation of both these abilities, that is how it works. Um, so it does, I think it needs to be a little bit more clear in their language, exactly how these abilities interact with each other and specifically how that first level ability works. Um, but I actually don't think it would be a terrible thing if we just got one really overpowered sorcerer subclass. I kind of would be down for that considering that sorcerers have kind of been, you know, stuck in the mud for the majority yeah, of 5e's existence not going to complain too much uh, I would love to play this sorcerer because this sounds like an interesting and fun sorcerer if yeah. you if you make it as liberal as that um, will any DM do that? Maybe not. Almost certainly not. And especially if this gets, well, when this gets printed for real, like that's obviously, they're going to change the language so that you can't interpret it that way. Um, but for now, it is fun to imagine a sixth level sorcerer who spends a single sorcery point uh, and then is able to cast, um, it, well, at sixth level, you're only getting two free spells, but still, uh, it is it is a fantastic ability, like really, really efficient. Uh, and you know, and you're not using your sorcery points on your uh, on your meta magic because of the other six level abilities. So, I already even up just up till sixth level, like this is a sorcerer class that I'm interested in playing. Um, yeah, I mean, fourteenth uh, level is a little bit disappointing. I would almost say it's it's a it's a ribbon ability, right? Like it's it's mm -hmm. it's fine, um, and it, it is flavorful, right? It definitely uh, is depending I mean, on what phase you're in you get like a small bonus mm -hmm. um yeah i mean the the fact that um you know you do get uh you know advantage against attack rolls or rather attack rolls have disadvantage against you uh yeah. in the new moon right and having advantage on like dexterity stealth um you know having resistance to necrotic or radiant damage is pretty dope mm -hmm. um i i guess really what it puts it down to is the full moon one uh seems to be very pointless um well it's either like yeah like it actually strikes me as like most of the time it's going to be a disadvantage rather than an advantage like if you want to be stealthing and you happen to be in the full moon phase you're going to have to spend that sorcery point to switch to new moon 
Um, because you like, this is not a, this is not, it, it, it reads, you shed bright light in a 10 foot radius and dim light for an additional 10 feet. Yeah. Right. And um, you know, th- th- this actually makes me look at it. Okay. So if you have the full moon, th- th- this is what happens. Right. Um, right. Now it's you've got. It's not an got... optional ability. It's always on. You are always. Exactly. The, these are passive abilities. So if you look at full moon up in the sixth level, like the lunar boons, um, abjuration and conjuration spells, which you don't get a whole lot of as a sorcerer. Um, and then you look at the top list, um, you know, there, there, there's some decent full moon spells, but there are also some amazing spells in that new moon and crescent moon. So to me, this almost like once you get to 14th level, it almost writes sort off of, why are you full moon. Yeah. Full moon? Unless you're walking um, up with like big dick energy and you don't care who sees you. Right. It, it is worth mentioning that like, while cre- like you and creatures of your choice have an advantage on saving throws while being in the light. So that actually does, that redeems it a little bit. Um, I didn't like, and actually up until now, I didn't realize it said you and creatures. I thought it was just the creatures within 20 feet of you. Um, that being said, it's not always, again, that's not an always uh, useful ability. Like you don't always want to be clumped up together with your party members. Um, like, okay, you have advantage on your saving throw, but if the enemy casts fireball, they're hitting all of you anyway. And if you were spread out, they wouldn't be able to do that. So obviously there's a give and take there. Um, but yeah, I just think that like always on resistance to necrotic and radiant damage or always on advantage on dexterity, like on stealth checks is probably better mm-hmm. than the full moon ability. So, And um, when you do have that advantage always on stealth checks, you also have yeah. in dim light and darkness you know, disadvantage yeah. attack rolls against you. Like, Which is crazy. Like, that's it's so good. really good, especially considering yeah. sorcerers can't really take a hit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then the, the capstone is lunar phenomenon. Um, so each of your, um, uh, each, each of your phases gets like a, a different, like mega ability um, that you activate as a bonus action. And then on top of that, as a bonus action, you can um, change your lunar phase um, when, when you change your lunar phase with waxing and waning, uh, you immediately use one of these capstone abilities. Um, for full moon, each creature of your choice within 30 feet of you has to succeed on a dexterity, or sorry, a constitution saving throw, or, or be blinded. Um, and they, and then you can also uh, heal hit points. Um, so right at the very end here, um, you get a bit of a, of a healing ability. Um, the full moon sorcerer does have like a small uh, dip into like healing abilities but it only comes very late with a ninth level mass cure wounds and it's 18th level ability that restores 3d8 hit points so i don't think you're going to be relying on your full moon sorcerer to be the healer of your party um (laughs) in uh in new moon um each creature within 30 feet of you is a dexterity saving throw or takes 3d8 necrotic damage and they can't move uh you also become invisible and then for Crescent Moon, uh, you can teleport um, into an unoccupied space within 60 feet. Uh, and you gain resistance to all damage, all damage until the start of your next turn. Um, so each of these abilities is going to have its own um, its own usefulness. I think probably, like Crescent Moon is definitely the least flashy out of all of them. But I think it probably will come up the most. Being able to like reposition yourself and have resistance to all damage for a turn is pretty sick. Yeah, um, that's... I think really quite helpful. Yeah. Even though it's like the least flashy of them. That being said, these are 18th level abilities. So almost no player is ever going to be able to use them. 
Um, but if you ever do, uh, I would say Crescent Moon's probably the most applicable, uh, and then New Moon is also very, 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 very good. Um, uh, something to point out is, uh, you know, once you use a phase's bonus action, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest, or you can spend five whole spend sorcery five points. Sorcery. That's a lot of sorcery points. Uh, oh, like except actually some sorcery points with the rest of the subclass, but I like five is again, like at 20th level, you have 20. You're so you're yeah. spending a quarter of your entire pool to do. Well, 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 like, well, 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 here's the thing. If you are using the ability of the phase you are currently in, which is the only way this works. Yep. You do get to minimize it by one. Oh, perfect. Let's go. <laughs> So, you know, um, overall, I think uh, everything up until um, sixth level, which is kind of where most people are playing anyway, between that, like, three and tenth level uh, range. Very, very good. Uh, I'm very, very interested in playing this subclass. It's got great flavor. I think the mechanics are super good. Even if you take a less generous interpretation, which is probably what they are anticipating you do, um, I, I'm very interested in playing the subclass. I think it's definitely now on my short list of things that I want to uh, want to try out. Yeah, it, it'll be really exciting to either DM for this or play it. Um, yeah. So we'll have to we'll have to look into that soon. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> big time. Uh, Dong, do you want to take us through the backgrounds that they include in this uh, in this UA? Uh, yes. So there are two specific backgrounds, uh, which makes sense for uh, the Dragonlance setting. Um, they come from older, uh, you know, versions of D&D, more or less. Uh, we have the uh, the Knight of Salamnia, um, also referred to lovingly as um, the Knight of Salami. And uh, the Mage of High Sorcery background, uh, which used to be referred to as the Wizards of High Sorcery in older classes. Um, but now we have more than just Wizards. So we now have... The mages of high sorcery. Um, <laughs> yeah, these are both specific uh, factions in Kryn, um, and they've got some really interesting features uh, and build guides to them. So yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's I think it's interesting that they use, um, like they they actually give you pointers in terms of like characters that would be having these backgrounds and then they actually give you subclasses that would fit them which i think is really interesting across all different books uh xanathar's guide to everything is is included in the in the text for the uh the knight background which is sick um so yeah i i think these are really interesting uh and they're definitely like some of the most powerful backgrounds we've seen wizards create yeah so far. uh and i think it really only makes sense for something that is like for for a story world that has um undergone such a history in uh you know this expansive meta narrative of you know books and games and other rpgs like it makes sense to have uh you know these really fleshed out and really well designed backgrounds which i think are are less so the strength of 5e considering the fact that most of the backgrounds are more open so that you can kind of mm -hmm. make them what you want but these are, are a little bit more specific um, so for the Knight of Salamnia, uh, obviously you get athletics and survival, which is pretty typical of, uh, you know, martial background. Um, you get one musical instrument, uh, which is your only tool proficiency. Um, you get one extra language, um, and then 
also uh, in your equipments, you have a deck of cards, common clothes, pouch containing 10 golds, but also an insignia of rank, which is uh, a little bit less common in some of the yeah. areas here. Uh, you also get a feature, which is also technically a feat, which is the Squire yeah, so of Salamia like really, This is the interesting part, right, is that both of these backgrounds, um, they unlock the kind of the first instance, I think, that we've seen of tiered feats in 5e which is something that I definitely, we can talk about a little bit more when we come up to them, but it's something that I'm very, very interested in. Yeah, it's something that is really, really quite exciting. Um, yeah, the in the guide uh, to building a Knight of Salamnia, they talk about, um, you know, this is uh, very much a, a, a order that is uh, just about being virtuous and, uh, you know, doing the right thing and uh, protecting the, the, the weak and the innocents. Um, so they talk about the different backgrounds and such that would work well for it, mostly fighters and paladins, but also even uh, war domain clerics. Um, yeah, they refer to uh, zealot barbarians, um, you know, or you could go with the College of Swords bard um, or College of Valor. It makes a lot of... Uh, really fun sense it also has its own little trinket table uh which is a little bit fun and just a just just a tad strange <laughs> if we're being real um you know there, there there are some some weird items here uh yeah but that's just you'll have to look at that yourselves because this is yeah it's just a little and then bit the uh <laughs> the mage background uh gives you arcana and history two languages um you don't get like much in terms of equipment just you know some paper and some ink and then it also unlocks the uh the initiative high sorcery feat um which is really really neat uh it does it does tell you that you know uh mages are typically bards wizards or warlocks that could have any subclass so they don't give you a lot of um guidance they're just like play a spellcaster which is fine um to be honest i just want to kind of talk about the feats for a second um i don't know how much of the minutia we really wanted to get into because there is like a lot in terms of uh text here but really what you have to know is that um if you have the initiative of high sorcery feat uh, at fourth level you can choose one of three branching paths uh and the same goes for the one that you get from the knight background um so you you can kind of it's, it's that character customization that i think is really really interesting for People who have played the game for a long time want something more out of character creation. This, like, powerful background tied feet, uh, and then on top of that, like, the branching paths that you can take with it, um, I think that's really, that's a really, really interesting direction. Uh, I would love to see Wizards continue with this into, like, whatever the upcoming 5e revamp thing that they've teased. Um, if we get more backgrounds that are tied to these tiered feats, I think that would be a fantastic direction for them to go, especially for people like you and me who, who know kind of what they're doing with character creation can bump out a character in you know, 20 minutes, having more options is, uh, is always good. I think. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Um, I think, yeah, like, you know, at this point in our lives, either of us could bump out a character in 20 minutes. Um, yeah. though I feel like at some point, that 20 minutes is spent just looking at the choices we have and seeing that there is, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of choice in character creation for, for 5e, um, yeah. just the way it is. But we've kind of run through a lot of those choices at this point. We've run through a lot of different combinations. So the fact that we can 
you know, modify our characters based off these feats of the backgrounds is really interesting because it's something we haven't seen before. I mean, we had racial feats in Xanathar's Guide, but that almost feels as though it's not being as supported anymore because of, you know, the attitude towards race race essentialism in D&D now, right? right? So even looking at the difference of five years, um, that didn't really hit the mark and it didn't really um, last as long. But, like, you know, the difference in, in these backgrounds, I think, does show some really interesting stuff but I, I think firstly we should look at the squire of salamia and the um, sure. initiative high sorcery just because yeah those are the ones you get at first level um the initiative high sorcery um is basically uh you receive training from magic users affiliated with the majors of high sorcery um and uh basically you choose one of the three moons of crin um, which uh, each gives you a uh, special ability uh, for first-level uh, spells. Effectively, yeah. what it does is, um, you know, one of the moons, uh, the new Atari, uh, you get basically get to choose from a cantrip uh, from this list, uh, Chill Touch, Mage Hand, Vicious Mockery, and then you can uh, choose an additional first-level spell of Evocation or Necromancy. Uh, Lunatari, another cantrip uh, choice between guidance, message, and prestidigitation, um, and then choosing a first level spell from divination and transmutation. Solinari, uh, you know, produce flame, resistance, and spare the dying are your choices of cantrip, uh, and then you basically get to choose a first level spell of adjuration or conjuration. Yeah. So I think um, it gives you the option to have these like more spells. Always great. Um, there's nothing like very flashy here, but then again, you taking this gives you the option to specialize later, um, with an additional feat of fourth level, which I think is like, just, I think that's just fantastic. The same thing kind of goes for the squire, um, the squire feat, uh, which is you gain proficiency in all medium in medium armor and martial weapons, which is really, really cool. Um, just being able to get, uh, medium armor on any, uh, I don't. Know, I just think that might that that could be useful. I think someone's gonna yeah. be able to find a build could, that could, allows. Could be useful. Yeah. Um, you had advantage on saving throws to uh, avoid falling off your mount, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> you know how often mounted combat happens in D anD. d And then you you have like this small uh, encouraging rally ability, which basically just allows you to uh, give one ally advantage on a saving throw once per long rest. Um, which is whatever. Like, these are not very flashy feats. Um, they give you some, like, small additional options, but it's it's really that ability to kind of specialize later, which is cool. Um, and again, I, I really want to see that kind of design carry forward into 5e, because I think that's that's exactly where they have that desi- desi- eh, design space to play with. Yeah, you're very right. Um, I, I think the issue that I see with this is, like, if I'm going to play a fighter or a paladin... Um, you know, the martial training gives me proficiency with medium armor and martial weapons, which I already get from the class. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, just wonder if there's, like, a build that you could have that would take advantage of being able to get those. Well, if you had um, potentially a rogue or, um, like, I, I mean, yeah, like a, like a, a rogue or a bard um, who yeah. wanted to use medium armor, um, the, the fact that you do get martial weapons... Um, you know, for a bar or a rogue, 
uh, like maybe like, would a, like be is it possible to do like a war wizard and then be able to get medium armor this way? Like that's kind of interesting, right? That like, that's I, a good idea too. Are, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or like I do a, think there's definitely potential here. Yeah, a warlock too. I think would be uh, yeah. like a like a pack like to the blade. blade. Yeah, a non hexblade warlock actually might be able to work. Yeah, yeah. um, that would be really good. Um, yeah, non hexblade, but potentially a pact of the blade. Um, yeah. Which yeah. is confusing. But. <laughs> uh, the, the initiative high sorcery, though, is such a good background. Yeah, um, good. Like, I, I could see this being super helpful and beneficial for warlocks and bards especially, um, just because you get less spells than most others. Um, like, yeah, I think that would be so much fun. Yeah, and just for clarity, like, these are obviously more powerful backgrounds than anything that has been printed before in 5e um so if you're allowing these at your table be aware of that um it's the same thing with like the ravnica spe specific backgrounds which give you access to different spells like if you're going to allow one player to have them uh you should allow all players to have them or at least something equivalent equivalently powerful um, because you don't really want to allow one person to just be objectively more powerful than the rest of the party because you allow them to take like one specific background from a UA document or from uh, when this gets published, like a specific uh, setting, right? Just, just be careful. That's all. Uh, yeah, you're, you're entirely correct. And I think what is really exciting though, is the fact that we have background specific feats. And yeah. that's what I want to talk about next. Uh, these feats sure. are insane. Okay, so for the uh, for the initiative high sorcery branching um, feats, there's three: uh, the adept of the black robes, the red robes, and the white robes. Um, and they all have different ways that you can uh, basically customize your character in the specific kind of magic that you want to be using. Um, so for the black robes, um, you learn a second level spell from the evocation or necromancy schools. Uh, and you can cast it once without using a spell slot, which is sick. Uh, you also get the life channel ability, uh, which is that when a creature within 60 feet of you makes a saving throw against the spell that you cast, you can expend a number of hit dice, which is interesting, um, and uh, equal to half of your hit dice. Um, sorry. You, uh, you expend a number of hit dice equal to the level of the spell, uh, and you, they take a certain amount of damage um, that increases based on the uh, amount of that roll. Um, so this is very much a... a specialization that goes into like that necromantic evocation uh just do damage abilities um so it, it's, it's really really cool to specialize in that kind of thing um for the red robes uh, it's very very similar uh you get uh, divination or transmutation instead um and then your little ability is that whenever you make an attack roll an ability check or a saving throw you can treat a nine or lower uh as a 10 which we've seen that kind of ability before reliable talent um, Exactly. Um, so being able to kind of have that ability, um, you're, you're playing with, uh, again, this is like the divination side of it. You're playing with fate. Um, you're playing with the way that the world works. Uh, and then for the white robes, uh, you're taking it from the abjuration or conjuration schools. Uh, and whenever a creature uh, would takes damage within 30 feet of you, you can use your reaction to expend a spell slot and then roll a number of d4s equal to the level of spell slot you used. Uh, and then the target takes less damage based on those rules. Um, so you have uh, one, the red, the black robes, which is very much damage dealing, uh, the red robes, which is very much about manip manipulating fate, and then the white robes, which is very much about protection. So being able to kind of specialize in your 
spellcasting in like what your character really wants to do is very very cool yeah um i do think it is interesting how uh the prerequisites for adept of black robes and adept of white robes is um you know respectively either uh you know any non-good alignment yes. or um yes. any uh non-evil, non-evil alignment, alignment. um yeah. i mean alignment is is absolute bullshit so that's well, yeah. never it being is, looked it's at it's interesting that they uh they, like it's i don't think wizards has decided if they want to care about alignment in 5e or not because there's like one instance in the dmg with a magic item that cares about it mm-hmm. and uh, outside of these abilities i don't i can't remember another time that it comes up yeah so. Um, but I, I do want to talk about how the black robes is really interesting because what it does really remind me of is like the the flavor and vibes of um, shoot what what is that what is that class that is not a real class but it is a class um, my sister is playing it in 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 a campaign that I'm running uh, and yet it is it is eluding me now it's like the like a like a hemomancer. Not a hemomancer. Uh, it's it's a uh, well, similar, yeah. Uh, with blood maledicts, uh, the yeah. oh, blood hunter, blood hunter, yes, blood yeah. hunter. This really Got reminds it. me of the blood hunter because you are sacrificing life in order to give a, like this this uh, magical yeah. enhancement, right? It, it gives me like that blood magic kind of vibe, which you know when you well, have the imagery uh, of the dice moon. are a very unused resource in five e. So anything that like takes advantage of them or uses them in an interesting way i think is good design yeah no i i think hit dice is something that is really quite interesting i i think that it is such an underutilized aspect of the game and i want to be seeing more things that actively utilize it for you know for for player usage uh like in in the battlefield or in social situations like i want to be able to sacrifice hit die in order to do things i want to be able to push myself absolutely right like yeah. That is such a fun mechanic, and I really want to be seeing more of it soon. Yeah, I think it's like borderline necessary for them to work in those kind of uh, kind of spaces, because again, like they they are, they are like I don't know, I don't know if they feel this, but they might be running out of space in terms of design, and they have to kind of get creative with what they use. So I think hit dice are kind of an untapped potential there. So I'm, it's cool that they're using it. Um, Expending spell slots in interesting ways with the with the white robes, um, like something that isn't just a spell but is an ability that takes the same um, resources. I think is cool. Uh, outside of that, though, like the again, it's just like cool, cool feats, man. I'm really I'm interested and in, like it helps you build a character that exists in the world properly. There's a lot going on here that I actually quite like. Um, the uh, for for the uh, the knight. The squire subclass, uh, the three feats that you can branch into are Knight of the Crown, Knight of the Sword, and Knight of the Rose. Um, I don't know, Dunk, if you wanted to, to cover what those can do for you. 100%. Um, so basically all of them give you a uh, increase to certain ability scores, um, and then they give you a interesting ability. So uh, for the Knight of the Crown, you can increase your strength or dex uh, by one to a max of 20. Um and then you get this ability, Tactical Teamwork. Um, when a creature you can see within 30 feet of you makes an attack roll against another creature that is within 5 feet of you, you can use your reaction to grant advantage on the attack roll. Uh, you can use this reaction a number of time equal to your proficiency bonus, and it's a long rest uh, situation. This is really fun, I think, because effectively what this means is if someone is shooting at like you and you're by one of your allies... Um, or if you are attacking someone, actually, sorry, let me start that over. 
this I think is really fun because uh, what you see here is like if you are fighting off against someone as a melee fighter and you know you have an ally who is a ranged fighter making that same attack you can effectively maneuver yourself to grant advantage and put them in a compromising situation which i think is really flavorful um oh, and yeah. it inspires that like you know sort of i mean it is called tactical teamwork it inspires right. and, that and, level again, of teamwork like the flavor on the text here field. the flavor text here is virtues of cooperation loyalty and obedience right like it, it works in tandem um, which I think is great. They, again, like I, I don't want to dig in this too much, but um, I think this is just good design. Like these branching feats that allow you this customization, I think is fantastic. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah. The the Knight of the Sword, uh, you get intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. Um, so this probably Saving makes more sense for... for the record. Oh yeah, you get proficiency. Yeah. So in... the, the other t the other two are you increase one of your scores. This one is that you get proficiency in a saving throw, which is arguably much better. Yeah, that that actually works really well for warcasters or for yeah. uh, mage slayers. Like an eldritch knight or something would be mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, the other ability you get though is uh, willpower. So immediately after you or a creature you can see within 30 feet of you uh, fail at intelligent wisdom or charisma throw, um, so, sorry, saving throw, uh, you can expend a hit die and uh, the saving throw increases by an amount equal to the roll of that hit die. Yeah. Um, this is, I think, again, a really fun way to incorporate hit die yeah. as resource management. I, it I makes think it sense, makes like, yeah in the flavor that they have for hit dice right where you like you are expending a part of like you're, you're pushing yourself beyond your normal limits exactly right? I think that's exactly really really cool in terms of flavor yeah um it's it's very similar to like the blades in the dark system where like you literally have this point where you have to push yourself right and and if you push yourself and you grant uh, you know yourself advantage or you grant a bonus or whatever running forward um but yeah. you take a certain level of stress right and then you have to manage that yeah like th this is a similar way you are pushing yourself beyond your limits and that is i think just really fun flavor um that's going to be motivating people at the table yeah um yeah the knight of the rose uh is also really interesting um in a, in, a, in a very interesting i think kind of uh combination of uh ability scores that you can increase you can either increase your constitution or your charisma yeah, so fantastic for a paladin. Yep. Um, and the uh, special ability that you get is Bolstering Rally. Um, when you roll initiative, you can choose up to three other creatures you can see within 30 feet of you. Well, it actually just says within 30 of you, but I I'm assuming they mean 30 feet. Um, each creature can gain temporary hit points equal to the roll of your hit die, plus your proficiency bonus, plus the ability modifier of the ability score increased by this feat. <laughs> what the fuck? There's a lot, a lot going on there. Yeah, um, you can use this number. Uh, uh, you can use this feature a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Um, this is this is whack. This is whack. I mean, could you imagine being a barbarian? who yeah. uh you know basically gets to roll this up and add temporary hit points to four people well it's also it's interesting right because when you roll initiative is is such a rare sentence that 5e doesn't use very often like that's not usually a trigger that they that they uh like to design around um so even just like basing an ability on that is really really interesting um 
a lot of the time when you see like when you roll initiative it's like you regain one of your uh like the ones i can think of is uh the bard capstone which is that you regain some um some inspiration and then the uh the sorcerer's capstone where you regain i think you regain some sorcery points um so having an ability that isn't like a capstone that requires like that trigger of rolling initiative i think is really really interesting actually I yeah i like it I, I think it is really fun because it is like it, it, it's I, I think it's named so beautifully. It is bolstering rally. Like it's yeah. it's just like, okay, we're getting back into a fight. Let's let's get together. Let's go <laughs> I, boys, I am, you know. I am playing a Knight of the Rose as soon as I possibly can. <laughs> oh man. I, I think yeah. it's really cool. I mean, to be honest with you, if if I'm looking at either like any of these three as things that I want to be looking at, I am definitely yeah. looking at Knight of the Crown the most. Um because oh, yeah. that tactical teamwork I think just adds so much fun flavor to the party um but like i don't know the the uh the 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 red robe not the red robe the black robe is also looking at it's it's i was gonna the black robe is the one that interests me the most out of the source yeah for sure (laughs) it it is interesting Uh, that we choose the same the same robe color but uh with the different night paths we are definitely attracted to do different things (laughs) <laughs> I, I think that just shows oh, yeah. the um you know the the the, the way in which I, I i think the the um i don't know the high sorcery stuff is a little bit maybe unbalanced not not unbalanced like, but like it's just yeah some of them are a little less interesting and uh you know well, all of the, the nice flashiest one right like the life I mean, channel yeah. is definitely the coolest ability out of all of them so <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe that's just it yeah uh i think that's actually all that we have to cover i think we pretty much went over it what's what's your overall takeaway in terms of this uh the heroes of crin on earth arcana uh my overall takeaway is i'm really fucking excited for dragonlance um, you know, this is something that I've been really looking forward to. I, I think Dragonlance is in a similar way to like Earthsea, just like a really, really cool, expansive world and being able to play in something like that is just exciting. Like, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it's as if you were able to play D and D for, I guess like, you know, modern fantasy fans being able to play D and D in like Westeros, right. Yeah. Or like in, um, you know. <laughs> any of these different uh you know fantasy worlds like in the witcher verse right like yeah it's just exciting like being able to play official play material official like world resources in a world where you enjoyed like the books and video games of it's just it 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 just feels special yeah it really does and they did it Um, so well I, th- I think there's there's some small phrasing stuff that needs to be addressed, but Definitely. that's why UA exists, right? So that mm-hmm. we can we can go back to wizards and say this and this and this needs to be changed, and then uh, they don't listen to us. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's up to three uh, creatures yeah. you can see within thirty of you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is there uh, is there anything else that you want to cover? Anything you wanted to plug this week, Dunk? Um. Uh. Yeah. Not nothing else I want to cover necessarily. But uh. Of course, as always. Uh. If you are inter- uh, interested in, uh. Faith and radical inclusivity, I urge you to check out um. SEM Canada's uh, podcast, Spirits Rising. Uh. You know, we've been on a bit of a hiatus, but uh. We'll be having something later this month. A uh, new episode, nice. and uh. We're gonna be looking at an increased uh, production schedule. So probably looking instead of once a month to uh, looking at twice a month moving forward. uh, You can find that wherever you're listening to this podcast, 
uh, or on YouTube. Um, yeah, that's uh, that, that's basically it for me. How about you? Cool. Um, as always, you can follow us on CWT uh, Pod on all social on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, CWT Pod. Um, make sure to give us five stars on your platform of choice. Uh, Spotify recently added the ability to rate podcasts, so if you haven't done that and you're listening on Spotify, please do. Uh, outside of that, I think that's all that we have for you today. So thank you for joining us this week. We always appreciate it. I don't know what our next, um, I don't know what our next episode's going to be about. I think we're going to have to wait for Wizards to release some more content before we before we decide. Yeah, it'll either be uh, the the release of more D and D content, or we will have to be looking at some of the other stuff we've been uh, wanting to talk about. Maybe the idea of the character forge. Uh, my headset just died, so I could no longer hear what Doug is saying. But for now, I think we're going to just... <laughs> what a way to end an episode. Oh, the battery of my headset just died. All right. That's um, as always, All we right. do not... Uh, Doug, uh, do you want to give us, uh, us a sign-off? Yeah. Uh, as always, we do not uh, advertise or anything. So if there is anyone who is interested in the show or may be interested in the show um, in your own lives, uh, you know, feel free to spread the word, uh, tweet at us, uh, write our names in the sky if you want. Uh, and until next time, uh, I am Dunk and I was joined by Jason and that was it. So bye.